Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything, from the streets to the peaks. DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. Now, I've traveled all over. I live in Massachusetts, but my family's from Colorado, and I've had all kinds of different bags, and you have to have the right bag. I've had the hard shell ones that have ended up coming out cracked and broken. I've had the soft ones that have ended up ripped. So it's super important to have the right bag. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on. Time to get going. Welcome back to Psycho Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. And like always, I'm so happy to have you here. And like always, I'm so, so completely shocked I'm still doing this. Um, Now, as I told you guys, I was going to launch a YouTube channel. Um, It has gone live. The first video is up. Um, I'm going to make another video um, and have that up hopefully uh, this week. So the idea is to post a new video, at least one video a week, hopefully two Um, Two might be stretching it a little bit, but at least one video a week. Um, Eventually, what we're going to try and do is I'm going to try and have a um, bracket style tournament to see who can take on Florida Man to possibly dethrone him as having the dumbest criminals in the United States. So basically each state would go head to head in a tournament, which you guys would vote on on my Patreon, on Twitter, um, to see who has the dumbest, uh, which state has the dumber criminals. And then whoever wins out of all the states in the United States would go head to head with Florida to see if they can dethrone Florida and Florida man as the dumbest criminals in the United States. So that's something I'm going to be working on for the future for the YouTube channel, um, a little series. So that is going to take a minute to put together. So maybe looking around maybe October, November for that to come out. that's uh, something that you guys have to look forward to. So, uh, like I said, the YouTube is up. It is dumber than a sack of hair. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at uh, the a case of medical murder, well, medical serial killer. The study of medical killers is barely in its infancy. Clinicide is the unnatural death of multiple patients in the course of being treated by a doctor. Serial medical killing is a relatively new phenomenon. The role model is Dr. Marcel Pitot, the worst serial killer in French history. More recently, Dr. Harold Shipman was Britain's worst serial killer. And in the United States and in Zimbabwe, Dr. Michael Swango killed 60 patients. That is actually who we're going to be looking at. A number of doctors have such high patient death rates that it cannot be ignored. At some level, these doctors have an awareness of what they're doing, countered by an overwhelming refusal to acknowledge the implications or stop from further treatment. Treatment killers offer, uh, off, 
often, excuse me, occur on a basis of serial mental illness, but may include continuous areas of euthanasia killing. Doctors have frequently been accomplices in state repression, brutality, and genocide in direct contradiction to their sanctioned roles to relieve suffering and save lives. They have become mass murderers on an exponential scale, making any comparison with a doctor killing his own patients reprehensible. Clinicidal doctors have extreme narcissistic tendencies, a grandiose view of their own capabilities, and an inability to accept that they could be criticized or need assistance from other doctors. Such doctors develop a god complex, getting a vicarious thrill out of ending the suffering of others and by determining when it is appropriate for a person to die. There are different types of clinicide. First being medical serial killers, doctors who use their medical training to hide and commit murders. They use their patients as victims of opportunity. Think angels of death, people who want to put their victims out of, out of their misery, but then hide it um, as just the normal end of their life, say cancer patients, um, things like that. Um, Treatment killers. Treatment killers are doctors connected to multiple deaths in which it is not immediately obvious whether or not they intended for their patient to die. The motive is never clear. Once a doctor has two to four of these deaths, they can no longer be attributed to reasonable human error or standard malpractice. Doctors are required to provide the best standard of care at all times and to first do no harm. This means to seek a second opinion or to seek help when the case is more complex than their skill set requires. So for them to ignore multiple deaths under their care is completely unforgivable and cannot be explained by mere denial or vanity or narcissism. Treatment killer doctors get the recognition and notoriety they crave, but only after several deaths tend to come to light. Dr. Christopher Dunch is currently the most notorious of these killers. Joseph Michael Swango, born on October 21, 1954, in Tacoma, Washington, was a physician and American serial killer, convicted of four murders, but is estimated to have been involved in as many as 60 fatal poisonings of his patients and colleagues. He eventually um, will be sentenced to work to uh, sent sentenced to serve a sentence at Florida Supermax. Now, Swingle was raised in Quincy, Illinois, and graduated as valedictorian for the 1972 class of the Quincy Catholic Boys High School, which is now part of Quincy Notre Dame High School. He played clarinet and was a member of Quincy Notre Dame Band. Although he attended a Catholic school, he was raised Presbyterian. He served in the Marine Corps, receiving an honorable discharge in 1980. He then attended Quincy College, now known as Quincy University, and later Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. Swango's troubles were first noticed during his time at SIU. Although he was a brilliant student, he did graduate summa cum laude from Quincy College and won the American Chemical Society Award. He was known as being lazy and preferred to work as an ambulance attendant rather than concentrate on his studies in medicine. Even at that young age, he had a noticeable fascination with his dying patients. Although no one thought much of it at the time, many patients on which Swango was assigned to do checkups ended up coding or suffering life-threatening emergencies. At least five of them died. 
Swango's lackadaisical approach to his studies caught up with him only a month before he was due to graduate. When he was caught faking checkups during his obstetrics excuse me, in gynecology rotation, many of his fellow students had suspected he'd been faking his checkups as early as his second year. He only survived when one member of the committee voted to give him a second chance at which time a unanimous vote was required to dismiss a student. However, serious concerns had been raised about his competence. Eventually, the school let him graduate a year after the rest of his class on the condition that he repeat the OBGYN rotation and complete several assignments in other specialties. Despite an extremely poor evaluation in his dean's letter from SIU, Swingo somehow got a surgical internship at Ohio State University Medical Center in 1983 to be followed by a residency in neurosurgery. Why do all these creepy doctors end up with residencies in neurosurgery? While he worked at the Rhodes Hall wing, nurses began noticing that apparently healthy patients begin dying mysteriously with alarming frequency. Each time, Swango had been the intern on the floor. One nurse caught him injecting some medicine into a patient who later became mysteriously ill. The nurses reported their concerns to administrators, but were met by accusations of paranoia. Because, you know, back in the 80s, everybody ignored the nurses because, you know, you're just a nurse and I'm a doctor. You can't possibly know what you're talking about. Swango was cleared by a cursory investigation in 84. However, his work was so horrible that he was not hired as a physician after his internship ended in June. In July of 84, Swango excuse me, returned to Quincy and began working as an emergency medical technician with the Adams County Ambulance Corps, even though he'd been fired from another ambulance service for making a heart patient drive to the hospital. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, you know what, when I was doing the research for this, I actually had to go back and check this multiple times because I could not believe this. He legit made someone drive himself to the hospital. He was working an ambulance and was just so lazy. He was like, yeah, nah, I'm all set. Thanks. You can drive yourself. Like I, I could not wrap my brain around that. How do you, as an EMT say to the heart patient, the person having possibly a heart attack sorry dude you got to drive yourself like no okay like no <laughs> says the person who's read every messed up thing and that that bothers me <laughs> somehow out of everything that i have talked to you guys about that's the one that gets me Soon, many of the paramedics on staff began noticing that whenever Swango prepared the coffee or brought any food in, several of them became violently ill with no apparent cause. In October of that year, Swango was arrested by the Quincy Police Department who found arsenic and other poison in his possession. Dude, as a paramedic, he should know arsenic leaves the biggest trace. On August 23, 1985, Swango was convicted of aggravated battery for poisoning his co-workers. <laughs> he was sentenced to five years imprisonment. His conviction set off recriminations at Ohio State. A scathing review by law school dean James Meek concluded that the hospital should have called the police and also revealed several glaring shortcomings in its investigation of Swango. Franklin County, Ohio prosecutors 
also considered bringing charges of murder and attempted murder against him, but decided against it for lack of physical evidence. On October 21st, 1987, Swango was released on good behavior from the Correctional Center after serving only two years of his five-year sentence. A year's probation would follow. By the time he walked out, the meteor Fuhrer had died down and his name had lost the front page appeal. He was happy to be in the shadows for once and to avoid local gossip. He left Illinois for other climates. He chose Newport News, Virginia, a city with an Atlantic flavor so unlike Quincy or Columbus. Miles between him and the past nevertheless was the present. When he applied for a medical license in Virginia, obviously he was turned down. Instead, he was hired on as a counselor at the state's career development center and his tenure was extraordinarily brief he the professionals with which he worked were cast a disapproving eye on him and especially his habit of working on a scrapbook of disasters at his desk yes you definitely don't want someone working for you who is cataloging horrible disasters so his next position was that of a lab tech at a coal exporter at the coal services. It lasted just a slight bit longer. Working as a clinical position was humdrum, but it did pay well and the company's president thought well of him. He thought that he had um, he thought that he had seen him on 2020 and he thought everything had been forgotten and his co-workers showed no hesitation in accompanying him to lunchtime. And it seems he avoided the wagging fingers when several employees fell ill and almost died from food poisoning. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't food poisoning. Around this time, he met Kristen Kinney, a nurse at Riverside Hospital. The two fell in love and planned to marry once they got settled. He was employed until 1991 when he resigned his position to seek out a new position as a doctor. Now, the FBI questioned employees on several occasions several months after his resignation due to the fact that many people um, became sick with stomach pains. Kristen Kinney was beautiful, red-haired, 26-year-old and newly divorced when she met Swango in 1991 at Newport News Riverside Hospital. She was a nurse there and Swango was taking a refresher course to a doctor with a doctor at the facility. Kristen at first regarded her friendship with Swingle as platonic, but as the months passed, they clearly became an item. Her friends, who liked her and affectionately called her KK, not necessarily a good book, fretted over the whirlwind romance. One even told her to beware, as it became common knowledge that Swingle's attempts for employment at the hospital were rejected for some sort of scandal. But she laughed it off. Very quickly, I just want to mention once again that today's episode is brought to you by db db is a scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything from the streets to the peaks db's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes adventurers and creators over the past decade db has designed and developed released and refined the best bags on the market with DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. 
Now I've traveled all over the place. I live in Massachusetts. My family's in Colorado. I go back and forth. I've had pretty much every type of luggage there is. I've had the hard shell ones. Those always come off the conveyor belts cracked and broken. I've had the soft ones. Those come off torn. So it's super important to have the right kind of luggage, especially when you go home for the holidays and you come back with twice as much stuff as you need. So this is the perfect solution to something like that. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on and time to get going. Now, back to this week's crime. By phone, Swango had been itching and itching and itching to get back in the practice. So he'd been hitting the phones and trying to apply at a number of medical centers all over the country. Between nurturing his relationship and trying to become a doctor again, he was just peppering the entire country with resumes and peppering Kristen with constant attention. In September of 1991, he received a phone call from the University of South Dakota in Sioux Falls, Dr. Anthony Salem, the director of the residency program. He, unfortunately, was interested. By phone, Salem congratulated him on an excellent resume, but asked him to clarify certain past history episodes mentioned in his cover letter. Most importantly, a passage that referred to a conviction of battery in Illinois that he completely made up. He explained that he had been involved in an unsightly barroom brawl in which several people were hurt. He was the fall guy who wound up taking all the blame. But he quickly added he now had all his practicing rights restored to him in Virginia, where he now resided. Clearly a lie. Salem, who said he appreciated the frankness, acknowledged that accidents happen, and he invited him to come to Sioux Falls to be interviewed by several teaching doctors. I'm sorry, a bar fight where somebody dies is not an accident, okay? Like, there's a lot of stuff that's an accident. But when you get into a bar fight so heated that somebody dies, that's not an accident. And I love how people can just be like, oh, well, accidents happened. Somebody died because you were too drunk to, like, control yourself. That's not an accident. Kristen kissed Swango good luck, and he flew to the meeting, which was set for October 3rd. As the first step of what would be a long selection process, he was interviewed by an assembly of internists who centered the questions on his background in internal medicine. What background in internal medicine? He's never practiced before. Sorry. Incredibly, no one asked why any other questions about his conviction. Jesus Christ. Blind Eye author James B. Stewart is in awe. It never occurred to them to contact the police or to follow up. I do not understand. This stuff blows my mind how easy it is for people to just be like, yep, I'm going to just because they're like, oh, he was honest. He came forward. No, like double check. Like, I, I just I, I can't. This is just insane to me. Just past the new year in 1992, a long list of candidates for 12 open positions was sliced to less than 20. Even though he hadn't fared well with all the interviewers, his name remained afloat. More banter, more shearing. Then in March, Schwango was given official notice of his residency to begin in June. Bad decisions all around. It's like, it's like every single person who's ever spoken to this man has a brain that's just a little oven that bakes nothing but bad ideas, as they say on, on what would Diplo do. 
Yes, that's what Diplo would do. Hire a serial killer to be his doctor. For some reason, I strongly believe this. Let me know if I'm wrong if you're a Diplo fan. I could be completely wrong, but for some reason, I don't think that I am. He followed up the good news by proposing to Kristen. He accepted, and together they made plans to move to Sioux Falls. They opted to live together until each was settled in his or her own respective job field. Kristen had been hired as a registered nurse at the Royal C. Johnson Veterans Memorial Hospital, one of the university's franchises, and looked forward to her new job where she planned to make a difference in people's lives. Everybody plans to make a difference when they first become a nurse, and then the reality of being a nurse kicks in, and they're like, I just want to survive the day. That's all. Yeah, I have quite a few friends that are nurses. <laughs> Kristen's mother and stepfather, Sharon and Al Cooper, were skeptical. Like Kristen's friends, they were bothered by the blank spots in Swingo's background. Years and years, he just could not explain. But as Sharon was to tell an interviewer years later, she dismissed her worries by telling herself that it was the answer for Kristen. Yes, this man was the answer. Yes, serial killers are always the answer. No, they're not. You cannot explain shit. Run. Husband Al adds, Kristen had gone through one marriage that hadn't worked out. She wanted desperately to be married and have children. So you just ignore all the red flags because she's desperate? No, that's not how it works, people. This is not acceptable. The Cooper's concerns seemed to be all for nothing. In Sioux Falls, Swango and Kristen became achievers. He proved to be better than the university had hoped, carving out a reputation for himself as one of the best emergency situation doctors it had ever had. Kristen, at the VA hospital, brought a sparkling personality and intensity to the nurse's station, which was exactly what they needed. She became very well-liked and respected by both nurses and doctors. Together, Kristen and Swango turned many ahead and generated much envy. Swango legally changed his name around 1991 to Daniel J. Adams and tried to apply for a residency program in Ohio Valley Medical Center in Willing, West Virginia. In July 92 is when he began working at Sanford Medical Center in Sioux Falls. This is why he had such gaps that nobody could really make up for and also why they probably did run certain things. Like when you go to work in a hospital in any capacity, because I've worked in patient treatment in um, inpatient medical facilities, which means they do have doctors on site. and we have to have a criminal background done on us so you have to have a criminal background done whenever you apply to any hospital and so it would be a red flag if there's no history like if he had legally changed his name and there was no history so he would have that would cause more of a red flag than him having a criminal record in both cases he forged several legal documents that he used to reestablish himself as a physician and respected member of the society because remember that he needs a medical license to practice so at he changed his name to daniel j adams he wouldn't have had a medical license so the issue wouldn't so much be the fact that first of all he would have no history then there's the fact that he'd have no medical license because he went to medical school under swingo which is the name in which he has a criminal record um, he forged a fact sheet from the Illinois Department of Corrections that falsified his criminal record, which makes no sense because he had changed his name, stating that he had been convicted of a misdemeanor for getting into a fistfight with a co-worker and received six months in prison rather than five years for felony poisoning. 
This was an important omission as most states will not grant a medical license to a convicted felon, considering a felony conviction to be an evidence of unprofessional conduct. He forged a restoration of civil rights letter from Virginia Governor Gerald L. Biles. Now, the reason this is important, if you're, especially if you may not be a, uh, from the U.S., many states, not all, um, strip you of certain rights if you are convicted of a felony the biggest of which is the right to vote obviously the right to uh, be involved in certain professions um the right to own a gun um if you're a registered felon so you actually lose civil rights if you're convicted of a felony and so the restoration of civil rights letter is basically the equivalent to getting a pardon without getting a pardon so you get all the rights restored to you that are stripped of you when you are convicted of a felony without actually getting your record clear um also you can't serve on a jury if you're a convicted felon so you can have misdemeanors but you can't have felonies so that's the other right now many americans would say that that's not so much a right <laughs> as it is a punishment but it depends on who you ask so the right to vote the right to serve on a jury such so on and so forth would be reinstated to him so based on reports from friends and colleagues that swango had committed no further crimes after his misdemeanor and was leading an exemplary lifestyle now you have to also question the gullibility of people because seriously the fact that nobody questioned the fact that he had a restoration of civil rights letter from the governor of the whole state over at, like first of all you don't lose your rights if you commit a misdemeanor you only lose them if you commit a felony. So actually, if anybody was really thinking about this, they should have flagged this immediately because you only lose your rights if you commit a felony. And he had changed his record to a misdemeanor, so he shouldn't have needed a restoration of civil rights. That shows how willing people were to believe him um, and how charismatic he must have been because nobody batted an eyelash they never thought twice about it i on the other hand would have been like why are you handing me this all you ever did was commit a misdemeanor why did the governor need to get involved and give you your rights back if they were never stripped to of you that is just me so he established a sterling reputation in sanford sanford but in october made the mistake of attempting to join the american medical association <laughs> Okay, so American Medical Association is an association doctors and surgeons must all join in the United States if you're practicing medicine. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say you must, but it is expected. Um, they do have a directory and a listing. And so if people have an issue with their doctor, a lot of times they check the American Medical Association to see if he's a properly practicing physician. Uh, he or she, excuse me, didn't mean to be gendered there, but they check to see if their physician is a uh, practicing physician, if um, the American Medical Association usually can tell you if there's any complaints. Um, they can tell you if, if anybody's uh, tried to, to have their license revoked, if they've brought them up in their state's medical board. A lot of times the American Medical Association will be able to tell you if they've been brought up um, 
and medical boards in other states if people have tried to come for their license in other states. So that's the importance of joining the AMA. So if someone does not join the American Medical Association, that's when you should be concerned. So if you are trying to check out your doctor with the American Medical Association and find out they're not a member, then you can you should be concerned. Usually they join, don't join the American Medical Association when they have something to hide. The American Medical Association did a more thorough background check. They, Yep, that's what they normally do. They do the most thorough. Then the medical center and found out about the poisoning conviction. Yeah, like I said, all the stuff was overkill. He didn't even need to make all of the documents that he did. Um, the, and then that Thanksgiving, the Discovery Channel aired an episode of a show called Justice Files that included a segment on Swango. Amid the American Medical Association report and calls from frightened colleagues, Sanford fired him. Kinney went back to, to Virginia soon after and shortly after that started suffering violent migraines. However, after she left Swango, the migraines stopped. Kristen saw the program and she completely fell apart. Swango, having been dismissed, was in no mood to comfort her or to answer any questions. Once again, his whole world was starting to fall apart. He rounded and shouted defamation. He did everything he could to show he was being railroaded. Everything but help Kristen, his girlfriend. Feeling deserted, Kristen waited in humiliation, ducking reporters who badgered her about her berserker boyfriend. Almost more hurtful than the truth of his crimes were the truckles and giggles many were having at her expense. When Kristen's friends at the hospital tried to show their support by inviting her and Swango to a Christmas party, Kristen noticed that the host's husband followed Swango from room to room and hovered over him whenever he neared a punch bowl or any food. Wow. Headaches, dizziness, all of this while she was still with him. For a while, she attributed it to just the rising tensions, but deep down inside, she wondered if he was poisoning her as well. She was a nurse and a good one, and she almost immediately feared the worst. Finally, when she couldn't take all of the drama and backlash anymore, she went back to her mother's house in Virginia, far away from Swango. And surprisingly, well, not surprisingly to us, but like I had said before, her headaches stopped immediately. Gone from him, even though she continued to love him, she continued to believe that he was innocent and all would be right, but she couldn't explain why those headaches vanished the day after she left. She weighed her emotions, separated her hopes from the obvious until the obvious became unbearable, and she unfortunately ended her life. At her apartment, police found a note left behind addressed to her mom and her stepfather. I love you both so much. I just didn't want to be here anymore. Just found day-to-day -day living a constant struggle with my thoughts. I'd say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I feel a sense of peace, a peace of mind that I've been looking for, and it's nice. In an addendum to Michael, she read, I love you more. You're the most precious man I've ever known. That's awful. The American Medical Association temporarily lost track of Swango, who managed to find a berth in the psychiatric residency program at the State University of New York at Stony Brook School of Medicine. Psychiatry, really? His first rotation was in the internal medicine department at the VA Medical Center in Northport, New York. Once again, his patients began dying for no reason. 
Sharon Cooper was horrified to find out a person with Swango's history could be allowed to practice medicine. She got in touch with the friend of Kinney's, who was a nurse at Sanford. The nurse alerted to was alerted about Sanford's death. Deaths alerted Sanford's dean to the deaths. Robert Talley, um, and they let everyone know about Swango's whereabouts. Tally telephoned the dean at Stony Brook, Jordan Cohen. Under intense questioning from the head of Stony Brook's psychiatry department, Alan Miller, Swango admitted he had lied about his poisoning conviction in Illinois and was immediately fired. The public outcry resulted in Cohen and Miller being fired, being forced to resign as well before the year was out. Before he resigned, Cohen, learning from the past mistakes of other medical facilities, sent a warning about Swango to all 125 medical schools and all 1,000 teaching hospitals across the nation, effectively blackballing Swango from getting a medical residency anywhere in the United States. Since the latest Swango incident took place at a VA facility, federal authorities got involved. Swango dropped out of sight until mid-1994 when the FBI found out he was living in Atlanta and working as a chemist at a computer equipment company's wastewater facility. Soon after the FBI alerted the company, Swango was fired for lying on his job application. So wastewater facility is a huge deal, especially if you're working as a chemist, you can tamper with the wastewater, the water doesn't get treated properly. The water that goes back out to the public hasn't been treated properly. He literally could poison thousands of people. The FBI obtained a warrant charging Swingo with using fraudulent credentials to gain entry into a VA hospital. By the end of June 1993, Swingo was off again. He had his own ass to worry about and he had successfully found a way to keep acquiring positions in hospitals. Having had the ability so far to pick and choose his field of endeavor, endeavors as a child pretends to be a cowboy one minute and a Martian the next, this time it was a little bit harder. Every time the issue of his convic conviction would arise, Swango again would use the barroom brawl alibi and again displayed the forged Virginia pardon, sufficiently dazzling those around him. No one ever checked with anyone or the people that convicted him about his credentials. Had they done so, they would have realized he was a doctor in search of a practice and he didn't have a license. Instead, they hired him. They just kept hiring him. <clears throat> a rare case as it is, when he was at the VA clinic, his very first patient, Dominic Buffalino, mysteriously died that night within hours after Swango took charge of the case. Wife Teresa Buffalino could not understand how her husband, a man who entered the hospital with a mild case of pneumonia, who had been sitting up teasing her and the nurses every afternoon, could succumb to paralysis of the heart and other organs. A rare case as it was, Mrs. Buffalino's inquiry was matched by other startled relatives of patients over the next couple months. Aldo Siriani died suddenly, as did Thomas Samarco, as did George Ciano. All died of heart failure after paralysis struck in the middle of the night. As they lay breathing their last, Swango had placed a DNR on all of them. 
DNR, for those of you who are not aware, is do not resuscitate. And it means that their wishes were to not be resuscitated, not to be given CPR, not to be put on a breathing machine, nothing. In the case of Baron Harris, it's one of the more dramatic because his wife, Elsie, proved later to be one of Swango's more vocal detractors. Harris had been admitted to the hospital after contracting pneumonia. At first, the wife approved of the resident doctor put in charge, but her attitude soon soured. He grew distant and silent towards her. One night when she came to visit, she found the doctor in the room, lights off, injecting something into his neck. When she asked what it was for, he answered unemotionally, vitamins, and then left with no explanation. Mrs. Harris must have sensed that this was not right, for later she asked the nurse on duty about the shot. The nurse stared back and said, doctors don't give shots. That's what we do. Within days, Harris's condition started to deteriorate. He was forced onto a respirator and then slipped into a coma. When she heard that Swango assigned a DNR to be placed in his chart, Elsie demanded to know why. Because, Swango groaned, his brain is virtually dead. Mrs. Harris lived for some, Mr. Harris lived for some time after the incident, but never woke up from a coma. When his wife later sued the hospital for negligence, the case was talked out of court for lack, tossed out for lack of evidence that Swango had committed a crime. Well, obviously since then things have changed. By that time, however, Swango fled the country. In November 1994, he went to Zimbabwe and got a job at Menini Hospital based on forged documents once again. There again, his patients began to die mysteriously. It took a year for the poisonings to be traced back to him. He was arrested in Zimbabwe where he was charged with poisoning, retained a prominent lawyer by the name of David Coltart, but he escaped from Zimbabwe before his trial and hid in Zambia. A year and a half later, in March 1997, of course he applied for another damn job, Jesus, at the Royal Hospital in Daharan in Saudi Arabia using, a f of course, fake documents. While all this was happening in Virginia, a criminal investigator by the name of Tom Valerie consulted with Charlene Thomason, a forensic psychiatrist, to help him with the case. Because of her considerable clinical expertise, she was able to review documents and evidence and give a psychological profile of Swango, along with her assessment as to why he had committed such horrendous crimes. Valerie was called in by the FBI to discuss holding Swango. Valerie called the DEA basic agent Richard Thomason, who was stationed in the Manhattan DEA office to discuss the case. Thomason's conversation focused on Swingo lying on his government application to work at the Department of Veterans Affairs, where he prescribed narcotics. This and other evidence was enough for the immigration and naturalization agents to arrest Swingo in June of 1997, while he was stopped over at Chicago O'Hare International Airport on his way to Saudi Arabia. Faced with hard evidence of his fraudulent activities and the possibility of an extended inquiry into his time in Zimbabwe, Swango plead, pled guilty to defrauding the government in March of 1998. In July of 1998, he was sentenced to 3.5 years in prison. The sentencing judge ordered that Swango not be allowed to prepare or deliver food or have any involvement with preparing or distributing drugs. Well, yeah, duh. 
The government used this time to amass a massive dossier of Swango's crimes. As part of that investigation, prosecutors exhumed the bodies of three of his patients and found poisonous chemicals in them. They also found evidence that he had in fact paralyzed Baron Harris, another patient with an injection. Harris later lapsed into a coma and died. Additionally, prosecutors found evidence Swango lied about the death of Cynthia Ann McGee, a patient he'd been attending while he was an intern at OSU. While Swango claimed she suffered heart failure, he'd actually killed her by giving her an injection of potassium that stopped her heart. On July 11, the year 2000, less than a week before he was due to be released from prison on fraud charges, federal prosecutors in Long Island filed criminal complaint against Swango with three counts of murder, one count of assault, and one count each of false statements, mail fraud, and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. At the same time, Zimbabwe authorities charged him with poisoning seven patients and five murders. Swango was formally indicted on July 17th and pleaded not guilty. However, on September 6th, he pleaded guilty to murder and fraud before Judge Jacob Mishler. Had he not done so, he faced the possibility of the death penalty and extradition to Zimbabwe. At his sentence, he sentencing hearing, prosecutors read Lord passages from Swango's notebook describing the joy he felt when he committed his crimes. Mishler sentenced him to three consecutive life terms. He is currently incarcerated at the Supermax Florence. For those of you who are not from the United States, the Supermax is our super maximum security prison. They have the highest level of security. It's every single prisoner is in their own individual cells. The food is delivered to them in the cell. There's just like a slot. They slide the trays in, they slide the tray back out through the slot. If they are lucky to earn yard time, they get like one hour of yard time and then they go back in the cell. Um, there's no jobs to be given at Supermax. Um, like I said, you, you get in that hole. Um, people who are in Supermax who get transferred there because they um, influence, they may be ahead of like a huge gang or something. There's no communications. You don't get any copies of magazines or anything from the outside world. Um, some of the people who are involved in 9-11 are at Supermax. Since they have been incarcerated, they have never seen a newspaper, a magazine, nothing. Um, your communication is severely restricted. If you do get the right to get books and things, like it's severely censored. Um, type of people that are there, like I said, there are people who are involved in 9-11. Um, Hinckley is there. Um, the guy who shot Ronald Reagan is there. The guy who shot John Lennon was there. Uh, the Unabomber, uh, Ted Kaczynski was there. Um, so those are the type of people who get put in Supermax, uh, serial killers. Those type of people get sent to Supermax in Florence. Um, in the book Blind Eye, James B. Stewart um, estimated that counting the suspicious deaths, circumstantial evidence leaks Swingo to 35 suspicious deaths. However, the FBI believe that it is possible that he is responsible to for as many as 60 deaths, which would make him the most prolific uh, serial clinical serial killer. And um, that means clinicide. So as far as a doctor serial killer, that would make him the most prolific doctor serial killer and does rank him as one of the most prolific serial killers in the US. Um, and it was actually the show was also featured this case was featured on unsolved mysteries. So, you know, people were trying to find him for quite a while. He was featured on several shows unsolved mysteries. Um, so people were looking for him for a minute. 
So, um, like I said, uh, that's the case of Christian Swango. Um, I really appreciate having you guys here. Check out the YouTube channel. It is Dumber Than Sack Fair. We're putting a new video up this week. Uh, check out the Patreon. We, I could really use your support. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to make sure I, I have more content for you guys, whether it's on the Patreon with the early releases there, um, merchandise at the merch store, uh, trying to put out the YouTube. We just want to make sure there, there's more and more stuff for you guys. So with that being said, next time we're going to take a look at a murder that was dubbed a voodoo murder at the time, and it was attributed to a self-professed uh, self voodoo priestess. However, was it really a voodoo or cult murder, or was it the work of the Axeman of New Orleans? In the meantime, I hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.